0: classic children's stories, whether it be Curious George or, you know, whatever those kids' stories are that you read to your child when they were younger, you can actually make it about a special occasion, like a birthday or, a, you know, some sort of, um, you know, party or other things like that. You place your child in the story to where they're riding in a hot air balloon with Curious George or, you know, they're at Cinderella's Castle, whatever it may be, you're putting them in the story. Imagine as adults if we could do that. There's some stories you'd like to be in. Imagine we could be a part of the Avengers. Imagine that we could fly the Millennium Falcon. You know or imagine you women that you could be in one of those stories where they sing every line and cry a lot. I mean I don't know. (laughs) Work with me. I don't know about women's stories but imagine being able to put yourself in the story so I could be like Chris Skywalker or Chris Baca or Chewbacca or whatever, you know. When my kids were really young, I used to tuck them in at night and frequently read them a story, and I got tired of reading the same library over and over again. If you know anything about children, you know that they will beat a story to death, right? They'll watch a movie a trillion times, but they'll read a story a trillion times. And so I got tired of reading the same story, so I started making up stories. And sometimes I would put them in the story, and I'd make it up about them. And it was really silly and funny, and they enjoyed it. And so the highlight of the day became bedtime, where Dad got to tell stories. And I'd walk in the room, and I'd say, okay, do you want to hear a story? And they'd all yell out, yes. But they'd always follow it with a demand, make it about us. You ever done that with the Bible? You ever made the Bible about you? You ever personalize the story? You ever put yourself in the story? Because the main characters of the Bible, of course, are God and Jesus. But this is a story about you. It's a story about us. We find our place in this story. There are certain words that I think perhaps cause some confusion among Christians and non-Christians alike. There are certain words that I think we have heard over and over again, and we may know something about the word as far as the definition, but we don't really know how to express it. You know, sometimes we'll be in a conversation with a group of people, and somebody will mention a word that we've heard of, but we don't really know what it means. But we look around us, and everybody else is nodding their head, and so we just nod our head because we don't want to look like a dummy, right? And I think that happens sometimes in church. I think it might happen in Bible class where the teacher says a word like propitiation, and we've heard that word. We know it's in the Bible, but we don't ever raise our hand and ask for an explanation for fear of looking like a moron, right? And I think covenant is one of those words. I think covenant is one of those words that we know something about. We understand there's an old covenant, a new covenant. We know something about that word, but we're not necessarily familiar enough sometimes to express it or to explain it to somebody else. But our entire story and our place in the story has everything to do with this word. And so if you're in that camp, If you're someone who has a a tough time expressing the meaning of covenant, maybe you've heard of it, but you don't really know what it means. I hope that we can shed some light on this term this morning because covenant means everything to us as far as defining our relationship with God. Now, when we look at covenant, we could easily define a covenant this way. A covenant is a mutual agreement ratified by blood, By a God who cannot lie and who never abandons his promises. If you look in the Bible, you'll find that there are really five major covenants. These aren't the only covenants that you'll find, but these are the five major ones. And I'm talking about unilateral covenants. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But you have the covenant with Noah, you have the covenant with Abraham, you have the covenant with Moses or the Mosaic covenant, you have the covenant with David. And then you have the covenant, of course, through Jesus Christ, the new covenant that we are under today. Now, again, there were other covenants in the Bible, but these are the five major covenants as they relate to us and our place in the story. A covenant is a partnership with God. It is a mutual relationship or a mutual agreement that is solemn and binding. Covenants are not entered into lightly, okay? Covenants are vital, they're important, but they're also Uh, the magnitude of these covenants is major because of the one we're entering into covenant with. There are situations in the Bible where two people entered into a covenant with one another, but when we talk about entering into a covenant with God, it is unilateral, which means that we don't come up with the conditions or the terms of the covenant, God does. And so we have no way, shape, or form, any ability to alter the conditions or to maybe come up with the stipulations, only God does that. That's what it means to have a unilateral covenant. I want you to look at some some passages with me and just just listen to the verbiage that's used. Genesis 6, 18 reads, But I will establish my covenant with you. Genesis 17, 2, God says to Abram, That I may make my covenant between me and you. Deuteronomy 4, 13 states, And he declared to you his covenant. Hebrews 8, 8 reads, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. Notice the verbs that are used. You have establish, you have declare, you have make and and effect. All of these signify one thing. They signify authority. God is the one who makes covenant with his people. Man agrees to the terms of the covenant, but he doesn't institute the covenant. And since the covenant is unilateral, as I said a moment ago, man is under no uh, type of authority to make any sort of alteration or to come up with new stipulations or to not obey certain stipulations. No, it's unilateral, which means that God is the one in control. Man's only response should be complete obedience. However... You don't have to look through the Bible very long to know that man didn't always obey the covenant. You can look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 and you can see some promises that are listed there, a blessing for those that obeyed the covenant. You also see curses that will be incurred for the Israelites if they didn't obey the covenant. There were stipulations, there were terms and conditions. But here's the question that I've always thought about when I look at the covenant that God made with his people. And the covenant he makes with us even. You look at it and you say, why did he do it? Why did God do that? Surely he knew the consequences of entering into a partnership with broken, stubborn, selfish messy people surely he knew that there would be ramifications in doing that certainly he knew that we would not always be pleasing to him but here's the thing about God and covenant God has always wanted a special relationship with his people always he has wanted that he has always wanted to partner with his people you know just a couple of months ago we opened our new family center this new addition next to us here and that wasn't without a lot of work, uh, hard work, effort, and maybe even some frustration. Uh, You can talk to Tom about that sometime. Uh, There were a few frustrations, right, Tom? I mean, when we got the cabinets in and they were the wrong color, I mean, that was a frustrating process, and there were many other frustrations along the way. Some were major, some were rather minor, but, you know, Tom and the elders and others dealt with that frustration so that we have what we have today, which is a very functional, very nice building, one that's not over the top but also very beautiful and and allows us to do some things that we were unable to do before as far as spreading out, offering more classroom space, fellowship space, and that kind of thing. How did that happen? Because that didn't just happen by accident. You see, when it came to the building of this family center, We signed contracts with Collier Construction. We signed a contract with the architect. There were many contracts that were signed. There was a lot of effort put forth. There were many people working behind the scenes and ahead of the scenes Working to put this place together and it wouldn't have happened without everyone being on the same page reading from the same script. They consulted the specs, they consulted the architects and the blueprints to what we have today is this beautiful family center because everybody was working hard to come up with the picture that they had in mind. In the same way, God has chosen to partner with his people to accomplish a goal. In covenant, we work alongside God, and he has called us to be a part of his work in the world. And you know, a lot of times, covenants are thought of as contracts. In fact, that is a part of the definition, but you've got to understand it's very different than how we think of contracts. Because a covenant with God is not necessarily a contractual agreement the way we think of them. Yes, we signed a contract with Collier Construction. We signed a contract with the architects. But in our culture, contracts are signed, contracts are made a lot of times out of suspicion. You make a contract, really, if you're honest, to kind of protect your own self-interest, right? You make a contract to, to make certain that your needs get met. Not so with a covenant. A covenant is a mutual agreement, as we talked about, but a covenant is more of a partnership with God in which we willingly let go of our self-interest. We don't enter into it with suspicion. We know that God's will is going to be done and that His will is best, and so we consider it a privilege to join with Him in accomplishing His will in this world. And again, like I said a moment ago, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that God's people did not always follow through on the conditions of the covenant. And it led to some dark moments in their history. They refused to abide by the terms and conditions. And everything fell apart. And it didn't start with Moses. It started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't obey instruction. And they were ousted from the Garden of Eden. And after Adam and Eve's sin we see the results of the fall of man and we see that god eventually even mourns or complains or groans i guess we could say the fact that he even made mankind to begin with and so he is going to wipe out mankind he is going to bring a worldwide flood And he is going to save Noah and his family and two of every kind of animal. And this is how he's going to repopulate the earth. But God makes a covenant with Noah, doesn't he? And part of that covenant was that he is to build a large vessel that will float out on the water, that will keep him and his family and two of every kind of animal safe. And God is going to begin the repopulation of the world with this family. But Noah... His family, they leave the ark, and it doesn't take too long before we fall right back into this rebellion and this sin and this breaking of the covenant. And so you can look in like Genesis chapter 11, and especially in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man by the name of Abram. And God makes a promise to Abram, who later becomes known as Abraham. And God tells him that he is going to make him a great nation. That through him, he is going to make a great nation, which would have been a very interesting proposition when you consider that Abram and his wife Sarai were unable to have children. They were old in age and infertile, and so their name was destined to die. And yet God speaks to them and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And so Abram, his wife, his nephew Lot, they set out without a GPS, without a, a compass, or anything of the sort. They encounter one obstacle after another. They, they, they go into places that they, that they don't really know where they're going. All they're doing is listening and trusting God, that he is leading the way. And really, the only thing they have to trust is this promise that God has made with them, this covenant that he has made with them, that, that I'm going to make you great, that through your seed will be the salvation of the world, right? And so Abram has to trust Now, we get to the Mosaic Covenant. Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel, and Israel finds themselves in slavery in Egypt. And God speaks out of a burning bush to a man by the name of Moses and says, you're going to lead my people out of captivity. Exodus 34 and verse 10 reads, And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom are uh, uh, whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And so God rescues his people out of slavery and he performs signs and wonders like the ten plagues, like the parting of the Red Sea. He, He provides them with quail and manna. He is with them in a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. And God hands down these commandments for the people to follow in order for them to receive blessings but the people quickly forget their rescue mission they start griping and complaining even some of them said we we'd rather go back to egypt we were better off in slavery you can look at the book of judges and you have this 300 year cycle of prosperity and blessing the people rebel tragedy comes upon them they repent they get prosperity again, and the cycle continues over and over again for some 300 years. It was a dark history of the Israelite people. And it can all be attributed to what? To breaking God's covenant, right? Now, through it all, though, this is the beautiful thing, is that through it all, there is hope on the horizon. Jeremiah 31 For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Keep up with that that phrase right there. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What's interesting here is who is jeremiah talking to who is he speaking to here well he's speaking to the israelites right but who's he talking about who is coming jesus right the messiah is coming and he's going to bring something better with him a new covenant this is not really a lot of hope for the people living in the time of jeremiah because they weren't going to live to see it but what it does express to us Is that God has a plan he's always had a plan he has a plan although God's people proved to be unfaithful time and time again God was long-suffering and he remained faithful to his part of the partnership he didn't give up when the people demanded a king so that they could be like all the pagan nations around them he gave them a king and you know about the history of the kingship among the Israelite people some kings Very few were good, and the people prospered when they were on the throne, but there were many more kings that were corrupt. And when these corrupt kings were in power, the people suffered. And yet God used the kingship to bring about a better king, the best king, the perfect king, the King Jesus. And God promised these prophets, these people, that one day... He would establish an even greater kingdom that wouldn't just be for the Israelite people, but would be for people like you and I, Gentiles. Everyone would be granted access. Luke 1, 31-33, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Before this new king would bring a new kingdom, we see God's people continuing in their immoral behavior, their idolatry. Go back, study the minor prophets, where we studied them earlier in the year, but that's where you see that the people are corrupt, they're living immorally, they're worshiping other gods, and yet in the midst of all of this, God says there's hope on the horizon there's punishment there's judgment at the time but there's also hope for a remnant it will be better in the future God still wants to partner with his people he still wants to accomplish something with his people it was a dark time in the life of God's chosen people what we read about especially through the minor prophets but God is saying I've got a plan Something better is coming on the horizon. A new kingdom and a new king. God is going to take a faithful remnant and set up a new kingdom. From the line of David, a new king will come and rule forevermore. And that kingdom is going to be expanded. And the promise that God made to Abraham is going to come to full fruition. And we are his children. We are that seed. We are heirs according to promise. The promise that was made to Abraham, we get to live it. As Christians people who had no hope you know Tim Bench was talking about in his class this morning about Nehemiah and about those who still want to keep the Sabbath and those who still want to to live under the old law folks we talk about are we to still keep the Sabbath today no folks you're not Jewish and, and folks that want to say, well, you know, we should still follow the old law. No, you're not Jewish. You never were Jewish. Even if you lived in that time, you wouldn't be under the old law. Because you're not Jewish. But the beauty of it all is, you don't have to be. Because today, all are granted access into the kingdom. Even Gentiles like you and I have been grafted in to where we all have access. And that is only possible because of a new king who came through the line of David and who is sitting on the throne, and who grants us access. Israel's story is our story. We are God's chosen now. We are the ones who have been preserved. We are God's chosen people. Anyone who wants to have access into the kingdom does so by accepting the conditions and the terms of the new covenant, which is faith, repentance, confessing Jesus as Lord and being immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins and living faithfully. The king has come, the kingdom is here, and he is asking a question. Here's the question he's asking. Will you partner with me? Will you partner with me? God came to this earth in the form of a man in order to be, in order to be our faithful covenant partner. You can read through Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 6 sometime, and see this beautifully illustrated. But within that context, you see these, these words again. I will be their God and they will be my people. Through Jesus, God is restoring what was lost in the Garden of Eden. He is bringing people back into fellowship with him. He is calling us to enter into covenant with him. This is a renewed partnership with our Lord. And God wants us in fellowship with him so badly that he sent his son to die for it. What are we going to do about it? You see... The only way this could happen is for Jesus to die. Covenants are ratified by blood. We have no business being in the presence of a holy God, but thanks be to Jesus, our new king, we have that access. But here's the deal. Living faithfully means not repeating the mistakes of our past. Something that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. People say, well, we don't even need to study the Old Testament nowadays because it has no bearing on our our souls today. And that is absolutely uh, nothing could be further from the truth. The Old Testament is there to educate us what they did, what the Israelites did, and what they went through. Their obedience and their disobedience is there to train us, to show us that God keeps his covenant promise. And we must as well. Here's something else. Partnering with God means that we do his work in the world. Going into covenant with God, agreeing to the stipulations of the covenant, and becoming a covenant partner with god is not a go to heaven for free card no it it means you work with god you work alongside jesus that's what the great commission is it's all about the great command the great commission you know you love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength you love your neighbor as yourself that is at its base at its root that is what christianity is but it's also about the great commission we are the hands and feet and the mouthpiece of jesus in the world right So you are not invited into covenant with God to sit and be a bump on a pew. You have work to do. Being in a covenant relationship with God is not even just about being baptized. It's not just about being saved. It's about serving. It's about working alongside with God. And again, he's asking the question, will you partner with me? Will you go all in with me in covenant? Some of you may remember this, but when Elvis Presley died there were many people who came out of the woodworks to say that they were a love child of Elvis Presley. Remember that craze? I mean, people were going on talk shows and being interviewed as they claimed to be a love child of Elvis Presley. One headline in a tabloid even read, I am the child of Elvis Presley's ghost. It was ridiculous, I mean, it was pure lunacy. And so there was a disc jockey in Detroit that decided to make fun of these people by saying that if you will send in $2 in a self-addressed stamped envelope, I will send you a birth certificate that says you are a child of the king and it will be signed by me. And 2,000 people sent in $2 to get a fake birth certificate signed by Dick Purton, who was the disc jockey in Detroit, so that they could claim legally, they thought, that they were a child of the king, Elvis Presley. My question is, what made that fake? What made it fake? Well, the fact that it was signed by a disc jockey in Detroit and not somebody who was legally authorized to do so, right? Folks, listen to me. You're a child of the king. You are a child of the king because you have entered into covenant with God. You've met the current terms and conditions. It's a new birth. And the birth certificate is stamped With the blood of Jesus. It is signed by him in blood. But that doesn't mean that you are simply saved to sit. It means that you are saved to serve. God has always used people like you and me to fix the brokenness in this world. Have you noticed that? God has always used people like you and me to fix the brokenness in this world. God wants to partner with us. Are we partnering with Him? I'm not asking you this morning if you've been baptized. You can be baptized and still not be partnering with God. You can be baptized and still not be living out the covenant. You can be a baptized Christian and not be in a partnership with God. Think about that. So my question for you this morning is, will you partner with God? Will you be in covenant with Him? Are you meeting the expectations, are you living out the terms and conditions? And if not, get right with him this morning. If we can pray with you, if you're ready to start a daily walk with him and enter into covenant with him, you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, do that this morning. If you want to study the Bible with someone, do that this morning. Set that up because there's nothing more important than a covenant relationship with God. Man, that's a lot. Pretty heavy stuff. And most of you are still awake. If the one-word study has done anything, it has challenged me. And words like inspiration and covenant are hard to make exciting. They really are. And as I approached this lesson and did it for the TV program on Thursday, I thought to myself, I'm about to fall asleep. That's bad when you fall asleep on your own sermon. So hopefully we've tweaked it enough, and it's, it's something that you find interesting enough And it sparked your interest enough that you want to know more about it if you don't. And if you're not in a covenant relationship with God, you'll seek that. Mike's going to lead us in a song. We invite you to come if you have a need while we stand and as we sing.